Can we talk intelligently about this when we're this sloshed? Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bowlesby. Listeners, <laughs> well, it is eleven o'clock. We've been recording for three fucking hours, and I, you still have only I drank one. a lot. Welcome, listeners, to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. This is Melissa, and my co-host is Wendy, and we will be talking philosophy movies. Philosophy. This is an even-numbered episode, so we are already. <laughs> Slightly lubricated. No, we're really, really lubricated. Is this like an even-numbered Trek film? Yes. Yes. Yes, Yes, it is. The even-numbered episodes are drunker because we have already drank a lot by the time we get And if you have already listened to the first Rob Callahan episode, you know that fucker took a long time and it took three bottles of wine. And you know that this is SETI Alpha 5. It is! God damn it! So, yes, our special guest this episode is the fabulous Rob Callahan. Rob Callahan, say hello. Hello. Yay! Yay! And so now we are on our our fourth alcohol of the evening. Now, I'm Or gonna, fifth, depending how you count. Yeah, so Melissa has, has given up on red wine. Yeah, I got beer. And she's moved on to beer. What are you drinking? With I, I'm drinking Great Lakes Brewing Company Dortmunder Gold, which I'm very fond of. Now, I am still drinking red wine because I've learned my lesson that you don't mix your alcohols. But at this point, we've already drunk all the bottles and I've just gone down to the box. So it is a block red wine Shiraz. It's a, it, seriously, you should see this. It's very, it's bold. It's very, yeah. Anyway, the, the box design is really impressive. I will say that as a graphic designer. It's very generic, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, Trader Joe's, Trader Joe's sells this. This is basically the box version of three bucks, three buck chuck. <laughs> yeah. And so this is what I'm drinking. And what I really love about Rob, who is sitting in between Melissa and I at this very moment, is that Rob has decided that he will drink both the beer and the wine. Yeah. I respect that in a man. I respect that in a man. (laughs) And Rob is drinking both at the same time. That's really impressive. Keep doing that. You have many talents. If Rob, (laughs) by the way, is single, we could fix that right now. All right. So we're going to talk about philosophy. Mm Mm-hmm. This was Rob's idea, and I love that it we're doing it. Was not. It was. Dude, you Shut started up. talking about it was Atlas Shrug's idea. No, no. Somebody else said we talk about the Atlas Shrug movie, and I was like, "Oh, I got some shit to say about that." And then Squeegee was like, "Let's do philosophy movies." Yeah. Well. Okay. I'm okay. What, whatever. Whatever. I'm still blaming no. you, but the point is that we are tipsy, and we're going to talk about philosophy, and that is what is going to happen right now. 
So way, way back, fucking three hours ago, I swear to God, we brought up Atlas Shrugged and you said, I've got shit to say about Atlas Shrugged. So Rob, get us started with Atlas Shrugged. Are we so, only talking about the movie? Well, we can yeah. wander into general Atlas Shrugged territory. I should make a disclaimer. Okay. I only watched about 20 minutes of the first Atlas Shrugged movie. <laughs> Which is 20 minutes more than anyone else has watched. Okay. No, my mom actually watched the whole fucking thing. Oh my oh, god, really? Extend my condolences. I don't even know why. I still don't understand it. Here's and I, I would ask, except I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I feel like maybe this is a sign of some sort of psychopathy. Mm. Okay, there, there were problems. And I think we all know that there are many, many problems with that novel. Yeah. But in the end... If you edited out about 400 pages... How long is the novel? It's about a thousand, I think. Okay. It, it's, 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 it's very... It's got girth. If you edited out... <laughs> let's say if you, if you edit out You'd feel it. You'd really feel it. Yeah, it's, it, it'll really ram it to you. <laughs> oh my god, the gestures. <laughs> if you edit out 600 pages of that book... You just bumped from 400 to 600. There, there is... If you edit it out... 950 pages of that book. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, underneath all of like the really bad philosophy, because Ayn was not a great philosopher. Uh, at least she was not a great objective, and her thing was objectivism, so it's ironic, in the actual ironic sense. Um, <laughs> she was... Pause. Rob is a writer, so he like seriously takes irony... For real. And a nerd. Yeah. Nerdy Pedantic. Writer. Rob Pedantic Callahan Esquire. Go on. <laughs> so, if you edited out all of the really, really bad philosophy, because she was not good at philosophy, you would still have an above-adequate sci-fi story. And I read this thing when I was, like, 19. Like, when everyone reads it. Yeah. I have never um, read it. Although, when I read it, I wasn't introduced to it as it, it's this is the Bible of how America should be. I was like, this is a book. Everyone should read it. I was like, no, check it out. I hadn't read Heinlein yet, so I hadn't been ruined on like really long, preachy books. <laughs> Are you dissing Heinlein there? Yeah. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Good for you. So that's the thing with, with Atlas Shrugged. It was, yeah. it was a pulp sci-fi story that was shrouded in all of this flawed illogical, not very good philosophy that was horribly poisoned by her personal trauma. What was her personal trauma? Her personal trauma was growing up under the communist regime of the Soviet Union. Oh my god. But even if you had kept all of that personal trauma in the story, Mm -hmm. or if you had kept all that flawed philosophy in the story, it still would have worked as a movie if you had done a loyal adaptation and Atlas Shrugged, now, granted, it's been, you know, I read it when I was 19, so it's been like five years since I read this thing. Um, <laughs> but it was based in the 30s, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 And, and the film is based like 10 or 15 years from now. Yeah. Like, it's very high tech. It's like Stark Towers high tech. Mm-hmm. Um, the film was made in the 2010, 2011 the the yeah. final installment just came out. Yeah, yeah, because there's several like two weeks ago parts, mm-hmm. and they've made it slightly futuristic. Yeah, and the thing is, 
It was a it was a good sci-fi story laden with bad philosophy for the 1930s. Mm-hmm. But when you try to just transplant that literally into the modern into the future times, basically the 2030s, it's awful. <laughs> it really is. It would have been a great animated series. What makes it awful? I couldn't sit through it. I well, for one thing, the reliance on railroads. <laughs> I mean, we all know. No, no, we all know. No, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know. If you're not shipping oil, the railroads are useless to you. <laughs> and if you're shipping oil, they're only useful to you because you fucking own them already. slow down on the box line if I'm going to get through this. <laughs> or speed up. One of the two. One of the two. I can't feel my nose. <laughs> it's... You can still see it. It's there. Oh, is it? Oh, good. There it is. Well, my, my glasses are still in place, so I, I'm pretty sure they're, it's still there. How does the... You've only... But you only watched like 20 minutes. So we're talking about a film that nobody has seen. No! Except no. my mother. For some reason. Plenty of people have seen it. I'm not getting in this room. How about that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I've seen 20 minutes of it. <laughs> Therefore, I can talk about it expertly. <laughs> I, I am the Bill O'Reilly of this conversation right now. <laughs> I saw is, enough of it to say I don't want to watch anymore. How about that? Well, I, I didn't see the movie, but I saw that my dad highlighted 60 full pages of Atlas Shrugged. Oh. Like continuously highlighted 60 pages that was one character oh, expositing. I know that chapter. You! You know! Because you know my pain! That, that you, chapter. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was I, about the, the glories of capitalism. Yeah. When I got to that yeah, chapter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I kept reading and I kept turning the page and I was like, when are we going to get back to the story because uh-huh. this is all bullshit? And I turned the next page and it was like... Three days later, yeah. we finally got back to the story. Well, it, it's like the point where you're reading... And it was a pulp sci-fi story. Yeah. You did not need to wait that long to get back to it. No, no, it was 60 pages of... Exp- of the same fucking thing same over and over thing. again. Yeah, yeah. same goddamn thing. So it's like when you're reading Les Miserables and you get to the point where you're, you're at the Battle of Waterloo and you just go... I got it's go, exactly it's that. Yes! 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 Yeah! You go, oh god, it's the Battle of Waterloo. When is it not the Battle of Waterloo? 60 pages later, oh, now I found the plot again. Okay, Melissa is doing this gesture where she keeps flipping pages like, holy shit, why is this not over yet? Goddamn Battle of Waterloo capitalism speech. Listen, if, you're gonna, you. if you're gonna read Les Miserables by the abridged version... There is no abridged version of Atlas Shrugged, so if you can't, if if you're not mature enough to get through that without like thinking that's real, don't read it at all. Or better yet, just go, oh, it's that chapter, and skip to the next one. Yeah, no, read the first three paragraphs of that chapter and understand that's the next sixty pages over and over and over, so you can skip it. Yeah, or read the first three paragraphs. Or, or if you have an unabridged version of um, the chapter. Like, by the way, I'm sorry. No, it's go for it. Go for it. The, the, when you get to that chapter, yeah. the, the chapter title is "This is John Galt speaking." That's the chapter to skip. <laughs> because 
you know what? You don't even need to. You do not even need to read the first three paragraphs because they spent the previous seven hundred pages saying that over and over already, with a little bit of a sci-fi pulp story worked into it. How is it sci-fi at all? Oh, uh, there's the uh, the heat shield that protects them yep. from detection in yep. their mountain range thing. Uh, there's the, uh, was it John Galt's laboratory in his apartment? Yeah. Where yeah, if, you, it, if it, you tried to break was... in, it would vaporize and turn to dust. Huh? There was a lot of sci-fi in that book. Yeah, it was kind of this weird art deco sci-fi sort of thing going on. Well, that's on. kind Re- of fun. Retro-futurism thing, so, which is kind of cool. So kind of like Which um, is why that BNET movie where they parked their planes in midair. And yeah. Uh, 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 just Imagine. Yes. Yeah. Which the is movie is Just Imagine, which nobody has seen except you and I. This is it's why amazing. I'm saying, though, like if, if they had made the movies with modern technology but based the story in the 30s where the books took place, yep. they would have been really awesome movies yeah. even if they had had all that bullshit. Well, if they'd gone more steampunk with it, right? Yeah. Like a reimagining of what the past technology was. Not even do that. Just take what the imagining was during that novel and just do that with special Well, but I mean, you couldn't do that in the 30s. So you needed Tomorrowland 30s. Did we cover Alice Shrugged? I think we did. Did? I think we did. We we probably bitched enough about Alice Skip the chapter that is John Galtzby. But did we talk about the philosophy? Philosophy. There's yeah, no the, point. Well, oh, fuck the philosophy. The reason there's no point is because people either agree with it or they don't. And the people that don't are the majority. And the people that do are, like, fucking the guy from Wisconsin who ran for vice president. And the guy who's named after Ayn Rand. And yeah. his dad. And Ted Cruz. Those are the people that agree with it. Yeah, and Donald the, Trump. The problem with the philosophy of Ayn Rand is that it is an extremist pendulum swing away from communism. I mean, the core idea of communism, taking away the fascism part, is that we should all support each other. Yeah. Right. And Rand's philosophy is that capitalism will cure everything. Yeah, because that's worked so well. Right. So, I mean, the Ayn Rand thing is trickle-down economics, and I believe we've proven in the 80s and now in most of the aughts. Mansions do not trickle down. Funnily enough, mansions do not trickle down. Oh, wait, this is not mine. In defense of Rand here, um, two things, actually. Uh, One is, like, her actual fictional characters in that book and Mm -hmm. also in The Fountainhead. Let me first just attack her and say that we're all rapey. But it was really rapey. But everything she has ever written, I've read a lot of Anne Rand because of my dad. Yeah, and, and it's also it's fucking really rapey. rapey. It's like rapier than Revenge so of the Nerds. So much rapey. Yeah. Oh my so god, rapey. Revenge of the Nerds is really rapey. Yeah. It is. I yeah. Um, For a movie that's from the eighties that I love, I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. No, like, not good. Can not she good. fall for him some other way? Because that's just awful. So um, rapey. Everything. I have read her play. I can't remember what it was called. I did not know this about you. There was I a find play. myself a little bit worried. No, I, I'm just well okay? read. Okay. No, I didn't buy into it, but I've read them. So that's not in defense of her. Is is that? It's not in defense. Her characters were all rapey, but really in, rapey. In defense of her fiction, these are fictional characters, by the way. In defense of them, look at uh, Reardon, Jim Reardon. Yeah, he was the uh, metal alloy. Uh, mastermind of of the world, and there had never been a strike. There had never been a union among his workers, mm-hmm. 
And she says that, and that's what the modern Randian people glam onto. But they don't go on to the next step, which was there was never a union because there never needed to be one. Because, because paid anyone who worked for him was, yeah, they were treated so well. Yeah, there, there was They had certain, no, they wanted for nothing. Yeah. There was a certain capitalist utopia. Yeah. But the the problem is, it, it, I, I, I feel like because the Ayn Rand, the Ayn Rand philosophy is kind of like communism on the opposite side in that they work great in theory, not in practice. Well, the Ayn Rand, it seems like the Ayn Rand capitalism is that a capitalist will recognize how incredibly valuable you are and therefore right. pay you for your skill. Except right. that's not what happens. They go, oh, you're incredibly valuable, but there are... How little can I pay you? How, how little, little can, can I, I pay you? And still keep you, yeah. Before you leave. Right. And, like, you know, we could do, like, a, an entire, like, trilogy of podcasts on that, but yeah. I don't think we should. No, no, that's not necessary. Not in our purview. I think that based on, like, the shit that neocons evoke in her name, or invoke in her name, mm-hmm. would make her turn over in her grave. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Actually, she I was can not, see what you're saying. Yeah, she was not an awesome person, but I know that a lot of the shit that I think she was trying to... to to put out there, got really twisted by the people that came after her. Well, if you look at it, I mean, and she was writing about how, oh, capitalism will provide, and you're so awesome, I will pay you excellently. There's no need for a union because I will pay you well. Anybody who would write that would look at our current system and go, what the actual fuck are you doing? She was also pro-choice, and she was anti-Reagan. Yeah. And then her followers don't like to talk about that. (laughs) There's a lot of reasons to be anti-Reagan. I I will say that Anne Rand was a a bold and forward-thinking woman of her time. For as much as I hate how she's been interpreted and I hate what libertarianism and the Tea Party is doing to American economics and and politics, to a certain extent, I... I forgive her in the same way that I forgive Karl Marx because they were they were espousing perfect ideals mm-hmm. of concepts as a way to look at something in a new way. Mm-hmm. And what if we did it like this? It is impossible to actually do it like that in the real world. But let us consider the concept of how that would play out. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at communism in the ideal, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't. It never does. It never does. And if you look at Anne Rand's concept of libertarianism as an ideal, well, yeah, if we actually paid people what they were worth, we wouldn't need unions. Mm-hmm. But right. we don't. So to a certain extent, I forgive her because it's not her fault. Mm-hmm. That said... So much of what I hate about what's going on, I want to lay at her doorstep. <laughs> like like some flaming bag of dog shit and then ring the doorbell and run away. <laughs> All right, so other philosophy movies. Let's move on to something a little bit lighter. Being John Malkovich? I don't know if it's lighter, but it's certainly really entertaining. It's it a much, sure is. It's a much better film than Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> oh, yeah. How does a Cartesian dualist deal with this movie? What? What? Those are words I do not understand. Okay, so okay, so but I do know Cartesian philosophy. I I went to science school. 
Please explain. But yeah, so she's all science and we're all humanities over here. There's yeah, a definite yeah, yeah. divide in the room. I have a biology degree. People. I happen to feel that even though there's an, there's an A at the end of a philosophy degree, it's still a science degree. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, because well, philosophy well, was originally about trying to understand the world, and so was science. So when you go far enough back, they do both come branch out. Well, philosophy and science were the same thing up until, up until people realized they're yeah, not. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, physics is applied mathematics, and chemistry is applied physics, and biology is applied chemistry, and psychology is applied biology... So, I mean, you go up the chain, and philosophy is up there somewhere. Philosophy's at the beginning. Oh! Oh. Throwdown. Oh, my God. Deep. Deep. Uh, so much mm. wine. So much wine has happened that I we've gone beer. deep. Yeah. I drink your milkshake. <laughs> you haven't seen that movie. I will Yet. show it to you. Yes. Yes. I will make you Yet, watch October. Movie. They're pointing in each other's faces. Those of you listening at home. <laughs> I'm pointing with a beer bottle. I'm pointing with a wine glass. <laughs> yes. And that is that is the dichotomy that is happening here. Beer versus wine. Dualism. Fuck you. Dualism. Uh, so, so anyway, Cartesian. Cart- I am out of beer. So we know Descartes. We're all familiar with Descartes. Yes. Rene Descartes was a drunken fart. Re- Rene Descartes... And Rene Descartes looked at a fly walking across a tiled ceiling and said, hey, geometry. When you, when you studied philosophy post-secondary, mm. there are four things they make you study. Three of them are those fucking Greeks. <laughs> and the fourth is Descartes. <laughs> <laughs> you that know is those not, Greeks. That is not true. Is Hume one of those Greeks? Because I had to read fucking Hume. No, you know, Hume comes later. I had to read Hume. But they don't introduce you to Hume until they've made you read those fucking three Greeks. Aristotle. Plato and Socrates. Oh. Socrates. <laughs> Socrates. Socrates. Why you gotta be, Socrates? Why you gotta be? So, those three fucking Greeks and, and Descartes are like... They, They're like the Beatles, like the three Greeks and then the drummer in the back. For, like, okay. Descartes is Ringo? Is that what we're saying? No, because I think Ringo is likable. <laughs> oh, snap! Descartes is Paul McCartney. It makes sense. <laughs> they got the carts on. <laughs> and he's more successful. I like the way you think, because he's more palatable. Honestly, he's more readable. Yeah, Ringo is like he's the much Aristotle more accessible. Of, true, of true, that group. True, true. Okay, okay. I feel okay. like, okay, so... Okay, we're, we're good, we're okay, good. Okay, wait. Who's George Harrison? Ringo is like the Kierkegaard. Actually, actually. <laughs> so why do you hate Descartes? What did he do to you? What did he do to me? Nothing. He died centuries before I was born. But here's the problem with Descartes. Descartes was a terrible philosopher and not very good at logic. Hear me out. But at the time, he was the only guy exploring these thoughts who had access to a printing press. There were, <laughs> there were smarter, better philosophers that, well, I'm speculating here, but... <laughs> there, there had to have been since he was such shit, right? Yes. There oh. were probably smarter, better philosophers than Descartes, who simply <laughs> were not aristocrats who were able to buy a printing press and put their mental diarrhea <laughs> into print the way he did. Are you saying that I think, therefore I am, is not one of the classic tropes of philosophy? It's a trope, yes, but 
Descartes' meditations are mental diarrhea. He is puking ideas. Are there any... Okay. So a fly on a tile wall is not geometry? What? Because wasn't that Descartes? Descartes would have said that was one of those hideous demons that plagues him. <laughs> You're a hideous demon that plagues me. Seriously. You were saying that Bing Jong Malkovich is a Cartesian duality. Cartesian dualism. Okay, so the Descartes thing, we covered that. Like a tar- Descartes was a hack. He was like the first hack. There were No, I'm, I'm pretty sure there were hacks before him. But anyway, he was a hack. Like the guy that wrote Beowulf? Yeah, seriously? Oh, totally a hack. 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 Fuck Beowulf. Someone, are you kidding me? So, LARPer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> For me, oh my god, seriously. So, the reason I, the reason we talked about Descartes is because, like, there's this concept of Cartesian dualism. And it is, I think, therefore I am. My mind perceives my body and that's why my body exists. Yeah, so you have to have your mind I could first. be getting that wrong. Anyone with a PhD... Let's, don't let's don't not, fucking email me. Don't get pissy. But anyway, so <laughs> if you put your mind into your, if you put your body into your mind, then you get that Malkovich Malkovich right. feedback loop. Right, right. But somebody so, else in your mind. So the the Mal, John Malkovich's body has a portal into John Malkovich's mind, and if he goes in, it's fucked up. But anyone else with a body can go into his mind, and once they're in his mind, they can control his body like a puppet, which like they have the whole like puppet metaphor at one point, mm-hmm. right? Like they. They reconstruct the puppetry. That's all I got. So what may have been lost is my point that being John Malkovich, Eternal Sunshine, Bill and Ted, Groundhog Day, Iron Man 3, The Truman Show, all these films that we have listed, all these films that we have listed as potential philosophy films are all in some way tied to identity. Mm. Being John Malkovich. Who is John Malkovich? And what is funny is in the film John Malkovich... John Malkovich is in himself a complete cipher because he's a fucking actor. He waits for a role to tell him what role am I going to play. Other than that, he's just some milk toast guy, kind of bland, kind of waiting around in the background, right? Because Mm -hmm. he is an actor. He's not an action star, which is a personality waiting for a film to inhabit. He is an actor, which is a blank slate, tabula rasa, waiting for somebody to tell him who to be. And in this case, who to be is whoever crawls into that tiny door and says, this is what you're going to do today. <laughs> the tiny door at the seventh and a half? Well, Lloyd, Lloyd most, Dobler was the first one to crawl through that door. What yeah. I find most creepy about being John Malkovich is the idea that you're going to crawl into that door with 30 other people. And then for the rest of eternity, if all goes well... You will be inhabiting everything with those 30 people in an incorporeal reality. That's <laughs> fucked up. That would drive me fucking nuts. I hate people. <laughs> I hate people. I love my husband. I would still not want to spend an eternity where we both were trapped in somebody else's brain together. That's hell. It's a derivation of the, um, what is it called? It's not the brains in the vat, but it's a similar thing. Yeah, it's it's the thing that Doctoro explored in his first novel, okay, Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom, which was uh, what is identity, and I think that most of the films we're going to talk about are going to go this way, right? Because mm-hmm. um, in Down and Out and in 
Is that the one about Disney? Yes. Oh my god. I need to read that. It's good and it's short. Okay. It's not Atlas Shrugged. Like, (laughs) it tells a good, concise story. Okay. That has a lot to do with metaphysics and epistemology. Okay. But is also a story that you can get into. Awesome. Um, So, the the question that is posed in that one is... um, what is my identity? Is it my memories? Mm-hmm. Is it my physical body? Is it what my brain is doing at this moment? And in that particular story, the, the answer is it's my memories. Because okay. you have an implant in you that uh, uploads your memories somewhere. And then uh, if your physical body dies, they're downloaded into a new body mm-hmm. that just takes over for you. Awesome. What so is it's, this? Like, it's like it's like transporting in Star Trek. Awesome. When you step out of that transporter pad, you are dis- disintegrated. You are killed. You are willingly committing suicide and having your exact double pulled together out of the existing molecules in the air somewhere else on a different transporter. So pad. this is kind of like um, the Prestige. Yeah. Oh my God. Have you not seen the prestige? Oh, oh, the prestige is so good. Oh my God, you would love it. Do tell. Okay, because the concept of the prestige is shit. I don't know if I want to tell you because it gives so much away to let you know this. Well, you already spoiled it. Anyway, anyway. How long has this movie been out? Like, it's been a while. A decade. It's my fault. Okay, so it's Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. So picture the scenery chewing. I'm not a Christian Bale fan. It doesn't matter. You have to admit, he's a crazy motherfucker, but the motherfucker can act. Yeah. Right? Are we all on board there? He can register intensity on film. How about that? He's no, he's no, uh, (laughs) Nicholas Cage? Yeah. (laughs) Well, nobody is Nicholas Cage. Nobody can be, nobody wants. Dennis Hopper was kind of Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Well... Anyway, and Dennis Hopper but was... I wandered into yeah. the middle of this, but the point is that in The Prestige, mm-hmm. Nikola Tesla plays a central role, played, by the way, by David Bowie. <laughs> you want to see this film? You have me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. so... Um, and, and he has a minion called Andy Serkis. <laughs> like you do. I know, Like right? you do. So... Christian Bale is able to do this trick called the disappearing man where he steps into one box and he steps out of another and there's no way that he could walk across that space. It's like So you know he was disintegrated in the one and rebuilt in the He has to there's something going on there. And so then Christian Bale goes to Nikola Tesla and he says, My friend this person that I know came to you, because he has that journal, says he came to you. I need you to build me the exact same machine. Nikola Tesla says, I don't know what you're talking about with this dude, but I will build you this machine. And so he builds a machine and he gives it to Hugh Jackman, who is wonderful. He's Hugh Jackman. He's Hugh Jackman. He's wonderful in this film. And Hugh Jackman goes to try it out. Now, remember, the original trick is you step into this box and you step out of that box. An instant later, how is this done? There's some sort of transportation. So he steps into the box in the box and he steps out over here and he turns around and there he is still standing in the box. What the hell? And he determines, I'm the, I'm the original over here. That's the copy. And he kills it. Oh. And so then he proceeds to do a month. Yeah. It's a month of 
limited time only engagements, I will do this trick that you will see. And part of the way the trick works is he steps into the box, he reappears over here, and the person in the box goes through a trap door where nobody can see it and falls into a tank and is killed. Because I'm the real one over here, and that's just the cop. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very disturbing how it all plays it, out. Yeah, the 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 reveal in the movie is well. Don't dis- spoil that thing. No, no. I actually I've left a lot out, and yeah. you need to watch this fucking. Film. No, it, it it is really remarkable. But I remember figuring out where it was going very shortly before the actual reveal in the movie, and I went, Oh! Can I just say this reminds me of a short story that I wrote, which appeared in my short story collection, Once <laughs> Upon a Fallen Sky. <laughs> By Rob Callahan. Which is on Amazon. You can buy it. Because mm. um, you're a writer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not just a writer, I'm an author. There's a difference. Oh, there is. There is. And I'm among the authors. Uh, apparently, published author is a big deal. So I'm one of those. You've been. Published. By someone other than Lulu, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say I've also published on Lulu, and they're not as bad as people make them out to be. And Cory Doctorow and Warren Ellis will back me up on this. There is no judgment here. But. Anyway, but your point was. But, like, someone else has actually published me, so. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is, uh, I, wrote, I wrote a short story along those lines. Only it was about uh, hypnotism and the zombie apocalypse. This sounds delightful. It's called In His Own Image. It's a story about a uh, character who uh, learned how to hypnotize. Like, do you remember, you read comics in the 80s? Oh, yes. In the back, there were always those ads, and one of them was always hypnotize women to make them do your bidding. Yeah. Because which is, with the, which with the, is rapey. Yeah. Very rapey. But that was one of the ads. Women are just property to do yeah. whatever you want with them. That was one of the ads in the back of the comic. Like, mm-hmm. send send us two ninety five, and we'll teach you how to do this. And and these three, you know, bazooka bubblegum rappers. Yes. So, I wrote a short story that was based on someone actually like sending in the two ninety five and getting back the guide. And at first, like this guy was hypnotizing women to do their bidding, but then he realized I could do better than that. Mm-hmm. I can hypnotize everyone to think that I'm God. And then anyone will say what I want to them to do. It won't be women anymore. It'll be anyone. And then after a while, he realizes like he's hypnotized so many followers that believe he's God, he can no longer control them. So he starts, uh, he can no longer micromanage. Mm-hmm. So he yeah. starts hypnotizing underlings. He starts hypnotizing people that think they're his archangels. Well, he needs middle management. And then his angels. But eventually, like, even that's not enough. Because there, you know, when I wrote this, there were six and a half billion people in the world. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, like, he's writing, he or he's uh, hypnotizing people to believe that they are him. And then once they believe that, they go around hypnotizing people to believe that they are them. And eventually, the world is full of people who are all running around trying to hypnotize each other <laughs> that they are each other. Okay. And the narrator at this point realizes, I don't know if I'm the original or not. I might be the original. I might be some random guy who just had the original's memories implanted in me through hypnotism. Philosophy. How do we end up on philosophy? It's your fault. I blame you, Rob. Eternal sunshine. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Are you more than your memories? 
And that is really the question. Who am I? And are your memories more than you? Because in this film, your, your memories like your memories are key to making. Back. Yeah, if you re- can remember what you did and who you were then, you will remember who you are now. And think about it. If you take away everything you remember, how are you you anymore? Like I said, this entire list, except for Atlas Shrugged, which is bullshit, yeah, um, fuck is, Atlas Shrugged. is Would have been a great 30s pulp sci-fi story. Yes, yeah. yes. But Eternal Sunshine is so fascinating because as you start erase, what I love about it is they erase these memories and then people just go into a loop because they erase back to a certain point. And at that point, what that person most wanted was chocolate ice cream. Chocolate ice cream is not good for you, and it led you down the wrong path. So we're going to race back to the point where you wanted chocolate ice cream. Yes, except that everything up to that point made me want chocolate ice cream. So you're going to want it again. So you're going to keep choosing chocolate ice cream. Mm-hmm. You, you know about the backstory on this and the original ending that they had for this, right? What? Ooh, ooh, ooh. No, the, tell me. The original planned ending was the, the big reveal was going to be... That uh, both Jim Carrey and who was the... Uh, it was Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. Yeah, both yeah, yeah. Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet's characters had been, had gone back to this place dozens of times. Oh. Like they keep going back and having it erased. And then they somehow meet up again and fall in love again and have the fallout and go back again and again. The point was going to be it's pointless. Yeah, mm-hmm. because... You need to take their life away because it is everything about who they are that makes them choose this person. Yeah. And do you really want to erase everything you are? How hopeless mm-hmm. is that, though, as a storyline? I feel like the point is that instead of trying to erase, this was bad and I want to go back to this point where I made that bad decision, that you accept that bad decision and learn from it and move forward. Precisely. Precisely. The, the bad decisions are what make you learn. It. It is the best way to train yourself to not do that again. Honestly, I couldn't be in a healthy relationship with my husband right now if I hadn't gone through the horrible relationship with Tumor Boy. Precisely. I have an awesome life right now because I made some shitty-ass fucking decisions earlier. I know, right? And I'm single. (laughs) (laughs) Toast to you, Rob. Seriously, as an English and literature teacher, movies are the common and most popular literature being used right now for us to tell stories to ourselves. We learn by telling stories to ourselves so that we don't have to live those stories ourselves. We can learn through the fictional stories of others, and therefore we don't have to experience all those things in order to learn from them. That is why literature is important. Mm -hmm. And if you want to learn through my stories, it's Rob Callahan. (laughs) And the problem with the very title of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is that a spotless mind is a mind that has not had any experience. Mm -hmm. And we need experience to make us truly wise. It's naivety. Yeah, and honestly, naivety, over-fucking-rated. I'd rather (laughs) know what the fuck is going on. Yeah, I know, right? Uh I would rather walk into a situation and go... I can tell exactly what kind of person you are because I've dealt yeah. with your kind of person 15 times before in my life. 
We're still Lucas. recording, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We've been. Yeah. All right. Okay. What so is... we've been recording for like at least an hour and a half right now. Okay. Bill and Ted. <laughs> Bill and Ted's so excellent on. adventure. So we, we've gotten past fuck Descartes, fuck him in his stupid ass. Okay. Fuck. And we've gotten past. And now well, we John. Well, unless you're into that sort of thing. No, there's no judgment there. Let us be clear. No, ju- no, no judgment. judgment. No okay, judgment. Okay. We've gotten past being John and Eternal Ma- and just... Eternal Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> eternal sunshine. Bill and the eternal sunshine of John Malkovich shrugged. On Groundhog's Day. <laughs> For those of you following along at home, Wendy just picked up my wine and drank it. I did not. Mm. No, I so did. I did not. Did. We're, we're all soaked. I licked it. What? Dear listeners, we are all thoroughly pickled. Pickled is a great verb. We are preserved. <laughs> It's true. In the future, they will know who we are because we have been preserved. We're going to be like the Piltdown Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we talk about Bill and Ted's? What is the philosophical slant of Bill and Ted's? You brought okay, it up. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I brought it up because Socrates is in it. Socrates. You just brought it up because Socrates was in it? Yeah. Okay, Is fine. this just a name drop? Oh no! Okay, I can tie it in because okay, Bill all and Ted... we are is dust in the wind. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> but here's the true philosophy: like which... sand through the hourglass. No, that's days of our lives. What it is? It no, is no the real the real philosophy is is two young men confronting their eventual fate and is that the person that I will turn out to be and how do I become that person? So it's the exact same plot as Freaked. It, mm-hmm. Okay, so Alex Winter Oh the my guy god! Who played, I know! No, who, as you say that, yeah. I'm like yeah! Yeah, Alex Winter, but the guy who played Bill. I said he was Bill or Ted. Bill, Bill or Ted. He's Bill. Bill. He's Bill. The blonde one. He's Bill. Yeah, he's the blonde no, one. Ted is totally he, he went Ted. off and went on his directing career and made a film called Freaked, which, which was is, based on Freaks. Yes. The 1933 Todd Browning film? Yeah. Yes, ah, which, which I yeah. see. Yeah. I've seen both so, of these films. Which we've so, shown at JaegerCon. We know, right? Nights at Clubhouse which Jager, 923, no. Washington Avenue North. No, which makes me feel like super knowledgeable because I've seen both these films. Yeah, no, Freaked is amazing because it's both Freaked and the original Freaked. Yeah, you know, super good. Yeah, Freaks is amazing for its own reasons because it actually casts real circus quote-unquote freaks as, as the majority of its cast, but... Alex Winter's Freaked is this weird, dark carnival movie which has this extraordinary cast of bizarro characters and it's also an exploration of self. Yes. And also there's an uncredited cameo by Keanu Reeves as Dogboy. I did not know that. Ah! You didn't know that. I did know that. No, I did. I did know that. You did did know that. Okay. when we watched it, you fucking told me. Oh, I'm sure I did. We all I'm sure I did. But, but there's also Bobcat Goldthwait as the sock puppet man. <laughs> so, okay, people, if you have not seen Freaked, it's amazing. It's bizarre. Okay. It's weird. And I love it. And if I ever meet Alex Winter, I have all these near misses with him at film festivals. I want to meet Alex Winter. So just... 
I love you for free. That's what I want to say. That's all I want to say to Alex Winter. Someday. Wait. You what? Pause. Stop. Maybe, maybe Hammer you... time. So what? Groundhog Day. What is, you brought this up as a philosophy movie, Mr. Callahan. What well, do you guys say about it? Because it's based on the myth of Sisyphus. <laughs> she knows. I know. Okay, ed- edify our listening audience. Wait, For please. those of you who don't know, which I believe most of our audience probably would. So Groundhog's Day is the story of a douchebag mm-hmm. who has to relive the same douchey day in his life until he figures out how to not be a douchebag. Not only not be a douchebag, and I apologize for people who... Maybe douchebags? I apologize to people who are like, you know, you're using a feminine product as an insult. I'm sorry. It was all I had in my mind no, because d- Douches are bad for women, too. So, no, no go yeah, ahead. Actually, women use douchebag as a pejorative because... Douches douche, are bad. Douching are judgments on women. Yeah. Right. So, so douchebag okay. is bad all around. Because so a go douche ahead. is claiming that my natural womanness is something that should be cleansed and bleached. Right, but this is what I'm saying is like yeah. So women don't like it's, douches. It's a gray either. area. No, no, no. Women, it's not a gray area. Douches are bad. Go ahead and say douchebag. So this awful person. <laughs> you could call him a douchebag. You <laughs> can say douchebag. I this already did. Like this is not going to get it out. Say it again. Say it again, Rob. Say it again. So we were talking about which movie? What movie were we talking about? <laughs> Groundhog Day! Hooray! We're all so drunk we forgot what movie I'm we were I'm trying to keep about. it focused. Ooh. I'm the helper. <laughs> and considering how tipsy... Pray for Mojo. And considering how tipsy I am, and the fact that I'm the one trying to keep us on task, that should tell you how fucked we are. We are really fucked. So, okay, so, so... Yeah. We are fucked. A lot. Mm. Toast. Mm. Fucked. Fucked. Fucked we are. So it's the myth of Sisyphus, which, as we know, is the man in Hades... Pushing the rock up the hill. Yeah. And the rock would escape him and fall back down. And it was just a constant toil. And it would cartoonishly take him with it as it went down. Now, didn't he also try to reach for fruit that was always out of grass? That was tantalus, wasn't it? Yes, Yes. Tantalized, yes. I can't believe I pulled that out of my Bravo, brain. bravo. The this science major has pulled that out of my brain. I feel like Sisyphus and Tantalus were very much related in that it is something that is never going to oh, happen. Oh, that's like saying Icarus and Daedalus were related. Because they were. They father were and son. Because, mm. <laughs> hello, humanities. I taught English, motherfucker. Um, mm. The idea that something that is constantly out of grasp and Groundhog Day is a story of a complete douche canoe, a complete dick mitten, a penis cozy, a total penis cozy, right? Go on. Please go on. Please go on. I will drape myself over Rob. <laughs> Please continue. He's a total dick mitten. And this is a man who, as he starts to confront that he is trapped... First, it, he goes through the stages oh. of grief. It's actually brilliantly he constructed does, yeah. in the film. Yes. First, it's denial. What the fuck? No fucking way. Right? And then it's anger, you know, and then bargaining, mm-hmm. and then finally acceptance. And as he goes through these, I love. I particularly love the moment where he accepts that he is God. <laughs> right? I love that moment where he's like, 
Yes. I, I'm God. Yeah. How can you say that? Because I know every fucking thing in this world. Yeah. This is a very tiny world, and I am the God of it. I'm not saying I'm the God of every world. I'm not saying I'm the God of the universe, but this fucking tiny little world, I am the God of this fucking world. Which is that exactly woman, how I am with my cat. <laughs> I love contemplating the worlds that spun off. Yeah. From each of the choice, the yeah. thousands yeah. of choices that he made. The quantum parallel <laughs> realities. Yeah. 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 The thousands, thousands of choices that he made. And I love the that he gets what he wants briefly, and that is the moment when he recognizes this is what I want. And again, like in Bill and Ted, what do I have to do to achieve it? What do I have to do to be the person that I am supposed to be? Mm-hmm. What sacrifice do I need to make? But with him, it wasn't so much about the sacrifice. It was just that he had tried every other possible thing. And he'd gotten bored and he was like, well, I might as well just be the ultimate But person. it is a sacrifice. What did he have to sacrifice? Himself and his own ego. He had to sacrifice that he was so mo- so much more important than these people around him. And it was the moment when he sacrificed that and these people around him became important that he actually made progress for. You're right, yeah. I am going to sacrifice who I am and what I want to do to walk my rounds in the morning and do all of these things. That's right, and these save people. the kid mm-hmm. falling out of the tree. And the yeah, guy and, having, and choking. And the, maneuver. Yeah. The checklist. He yeah, had. he's like, and yeah. you've never fucking once thanked me you asshole kid yeah like each day he lives it he figures out another way he could just improve that situation yeah and i'm gonna improve it and i'm gonna improve it i'm gonna make it better right now right this day i'm stuck in this day the least i at the very least i can do since i'm stuck here is try to make this the best day possible i have cleared my docket now what do i do learn learn piano <laughs> apparently learn french learn french apparently become a doctor although mostly honorary mostly honorary mm-hmm. and so that is and it is that moment when and it's the moment that honestly he gives up winning the woman and just tries to make himself do the best job possible and if you've ever gamed right if you've ever played a game yeah mm-hmm. if, you've, if you've ever been a rules ninja yeah, it's like, you know that you have to beat the big boss, but there is a certain, like, yeah, that's three levels from now. I want to do this level perfect. Well, you've done it good enough to move on to the next level. No, fuck you. I haven't made this level perfect yet, and I want to make this level perfect. And as he works really hard to make this level perfect, that is the moment where he achieves his victory over the big boss, and then he gets Andy McDowell, which is not actually much of a reward because I'm not an Andy McDowell fan. And you know what? I've never got the Andy McDowell hate. I feel really. like she's an early... She made the awesome dolphin noises in Hudson Hawk. Which, you know I love Hudson Hawk. Uh-huh. You know I do. Right. Wait, 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 wait. People love Hudson Hawk? Yes! Yes! Fuck yeah! Fuck yeah, it's got Richard E. Grant. So we were going to move on to other films about philosophy... I feel like the next one up is The Truman Show. Let's talk about I'm The Truman sorry, Show. I'm sorry, but it's true. They're giggling because they're drunk. It's not my fault. I am also drunk, but I am more on topic because I'm here for you. That is it's all about the cave. It's very deeply philosophical. Tell us what you mean by the cave. You know, the cave. The cave. Okay. It's the thing where there's like everyone lives in a cave 
and there's like just a brief like crack where the sunlight comes in and the sunlight comes in and like you can see shadows that are cast from whatever's going on out there and you assume those shadows represent the real world oh it's aristotle that's it's, it's aristotle it's aristotle's the cave Okay, I thought it was Plato's the cave. Are you sure it's Aristotle? I don't. It's one of those fuckers. I imagine it's one of those Greek fuckers. I, mer- I, I imagine there are a lot of caves in Greece. Grover? It's Plato. It is presented by Plato in his work, The Republic. Oh. The Allegory of the Cave. I have a Reader's Digest condensed version of that. And the thing is that Plato is talking I have about. A state condensed version of that. That. Ooh. It is okay. the idea it's of probably less representative than yours was. <laughs> is ta- oh, that's kind of disturbing. It was a fucking farm school in the middle of nowhere. Well, I know, I know. By the way, if anyone from SESU is listening, I didn't mean that. They can't hear you. You're talking way too quiet for that microwave over there. KBSC rules. Okay. <laughs> but my point is, the the entire cave allegory is what points to. The Platonic ideals. Okay. Because what he is saying is in our regular day-to-day existence, we are dealing with simply the shadows of what those actual ideals, the reality is that we cannot see. So it is talking about the Platonic ideal. All we are dealing with is the shadow of that ideal. Okay. So when you get into the Truman Show, Rob is right. It is very much about what is actually real. And Truman is dealing with the shadows of what is real, as if they are real, and then he comes to discover that what is real is something behind the scenes that he has not actually seen yet. So, the Truman Show is like the light version of Synecdoche, New York. Which I have not seen. Synecdoche. No. It's Synecdoche. 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 I am too Synecdoche. Okay, so it's a Philip Seymour Hoffman film called Synecdoche, New York. Oh, where I have an actual life experience, but you go ahead with your film. Oh, no, 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 no. I I got this one. Maybe. I've watched it once. But anyway, there's this Philip Seymour Hoffman film that is this amazing, super dense, really smart, probably too smart for me, film called Synecdoche, New York. Well, the very concept of a Synecdoche yeah. is something very yeah. deep. It, it is a simulacrum of reality. This movie goes through many, many, many layers of that. When you have an individual who starts creating a reality, and then there's a reality within a reality, and then there's another reality within that reality, and it keeps going and going and going. Is that Leonardo okay. thing? Hold on. Oh, like Inception? That's the one. Kind of okay. like that, only even more elegant. Okay. More elegant than that. A synecdoche. Synecdoche. I love that term. Is a figure of speech in which a term for a part of something refers to the whole of it. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa. So a perfect example is calling workers hired hands. Right. Okay, so the, the part of the worker that does the work, the hands, becomes the synecdoche for the actual work. Right. Mm. And, and within, so it's very metaphorical. Right. And within Synecdoche, New York, it, that movie, you've got a character who starts to develop a theater troupe who wants to develop a simulacrum of New York inside of a theater 
of course, since they have developed this model of New York inside of New York, they must develop a smaller model of New York inside of it and keeps going and going and going. It's New York's all the way down. It's New York's all the way down. <laughs> it's amazing. And that leads us to our final film. And we're going to have to stop after two. Iron Man 3? I think, yeah. I can't handle much more. Yeah, it's it's one oh seven in the morning, Wendy. <laughs> okay, so our final film is Iron Man 3. And the only reason that this is on the list in terms of our philosophy movies is that I dragged it in because we're going to talk about I- movies about identity. Tony Iron- fucking Stark. Tony fucking Stark, yeah. Now, what is funny is, and I have the utmost respect for her, Melinda Snodgrass was a guest yeah. at, at Convergence. And I ended up having a chance to chat with her, and she complained about Iron Man 3, that it was so shallow and so problematic. And I was just looking really? at her, honest to God, I'm like, mm. it's my favorite of the three. And I never got a chance to sit down and chat with her about it. because It's all about his PTSD. For yeah. you, it's PTSD. And I, I think we're talking about the same thing. We're just calling it something else. Okay. For me, I could do a complete deconstruction of Iron Man 3 in the terms of who am I and his identity? Because the entire film is, what does it mean to be Iron Man? And so here is this man, and he thinks that being Iron Man is being the suit. And so he keeps building suits. And even when his lover comes home, he greets her with a suit because he thinks that that, that is what she wants. She wants Iron Man. So I will mm-hmm. greet her with Iron Man, even though I'm in the other fucking room and this is just a hollow, literally a hollow shell that is obeying my commands. But I don't believe I'm Iron Man. I believe it's the suit that's Iron Man. And then you watch him and the entire film is built to strip him down to the point where how do I solve the problem? And when you watch who solves the problem, it is Tony Stark Mm -hmm. without the suit with a backpack and a glove. Yeah. What, the best part of that movie is when he visits the fucking hardware store. Yes. And and gears up. And that is when you realize he doesn't need the suit to be back to be Iron Man. He doesn't need the suit. This so, is why Tony Stark is the best character in the entire cinematic. He universe. is. When yeah. you watch him in the Avengers, you don't need him in the fucking suit. The best scenes are him. In jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. Where he's and where just being insult smart. Yeah. with Captain America. Yeah, where, where he's or, playing other characters off of each other. He's yeah. doing social engineering. He, as he's poking at, at, at Bruce, at Bruce Banner, Banner yeah. to go, yeah. I need to know what you are. Yeah. I need to know how you react because I need to know how to work with you. Well, I'm, so I'm a huge fan you. of when you turn into an unstoppable rage monster. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love that part of you, but I need to know what else is there so I know how to incorporate you into my plans. And then as he works with Captain America, and he realizes you're a... And this is great, because I was just in a, a whole thing about ta- tactics versus strategy and talk, talking about gamification earlier today in e-learning constructs in that he is a man who looks at Captain America and says, this is a tactician. Mm -hmm. But Tony Stark is a strategic person. Yeah. So he's able to look at the big picture. And you can see that when he is, when he's, um, he's playing uh, comedic. Yeah. While he's actually stalling for time trying to figure out his next move, 
he's playing the bumbling idiot. Mm-hmm. He does it with Loki. I'm being snarky. He and does I'm it with Thor at one point. I'm going to keep you off and balance and think you're just so. being an asshole. But what I'm actually doing is looking for the bigger picture. Yeah. And so in that final battle, when he says, call it out, Cap, Cap is a better tactician than I am. He's military. He can see what needs to be done. So oddly enough, Cap is a better technical front man for this team. Which, but, yeah, a credit to Joss Whedon. Yeah. Not a lot of screenwriters would have realized that, but in the comics, that was the reason why the Cap and Iron Man like co-led the Avengers, mm-hmm. was because they each had those separate strengths. Because Iron Man isn't a front man leader. He's no. too He's too much of an asshole. He's a, he's a douche canoe. He's a douche canoe. He's much too egotistical to be a good leader. Cap, he's a douche canoe with awesome armor. He is. Cap is an excellent leader. What Cap is a Boy Scout. Be, but what Tony Stark is, is a strategic person. I'm going to put you in charge so we can win this battle. But meanwhile, I'm looking at the overall picture of what do we need. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing the party to you. I'm bringing the party to you. You're better at beating this fucker. I'm good at bringing the party to you so you can beat the fucker. Meanwhile, I'm looking ahead at, we've got to beat that fucker up there in the sky. Mm-hmm. You win this battle, I'm going to be thinking about how to win the war. All right, are we done? I, You know, you should wrap it up, and then we should just, you know, be friends. I don't even know what that means. I don't know either. Watch this. Hey, this has been Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa right there. Hey! And Wendy, your co-host. Hi there. We've been joined this week by Rob over there. Hello. And we talked about philosophy in movies. I'm not sure how coherent it was. Because seriously, we drank three bottles of wine before we even got started. And then we got to the box and the bottles of beer. And we recorded for two hours and 45 minutes. I don't know what you're going to hear. You're but hear right the now, cream of the crop. With that much content, there's got to be some cream somewhere. <laughs> that did not sound right. Oh, that did not come out good. Or maybe it did. There's got to be a lot of cream somewhere. Is what you meant to say? I I don't know if we're making it better or we'll, worse. We'll figure this out. And that is Zanny just saying, "My pleasure." Don't boop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Did that did that make words? I can't tell.